Okay, welcome to Bike Talk. This is Nick, and uh, I'm here with TJ from Orange 20 Bikes. Hey, how are you doing? That's the mic that works. Okay. Cool. Well, um, so we're going to talk about some stuff today. What do you got today? Oh, I started a list. Uh, invited a couple people to the show, including uh, Ozzy from Echo Park Cycles. Uh, we might give him a call later. Uh, a few other people that... Uh, just got back from a recent trip to Las Vegas, Interbike 2010. I figured we might start out there. Um, I personally didn't go, but I uh, can get a few updates for the rest of us. Uh, we can talk about uh, the World Cycle Messenger or the Cycle Messenger World Championships, uh, which just ended um, a couple weeks ago in Guatemala. Um, Actually, my mechanic and bookkeeper uh, should be getting back from Guatemala City later on today. Uh, we might be able to give them a call. Uh, I went down there as well, just got back. Um, and uh, Yeah, how, how was it? Oh, yeah, I've never been to Guatemala before. It was, uh, you know, eye-opening. It, oh, really? yeah, yeah. it was different. It was good. I've been there one time, and it, it was there for two weeks, and it just I, I, it felt like I was there for uh, much longer, and I... I kept referring back to it you know in my head yeah quite a few people were there um out of the the, the world messenger circuit and some other just uh, interesting people filmmakers uh lucas brunel oh, are we still on lucas brunel um the individual that uh, kind of speared uh, this entire project uh is an individual named nadir from a bicycle shop in uh, toronto i believe uh called la carrera Anyways, uh, a lot of those guys had been down there for going on two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, uh, wow. and uh, I'm not sure when they were intending on coming back. So these guys, they go around the world doing this, or this is like special for this time? I'd say that there's representatives of people from basically every populated continent there. Um, there were uh, a lot of people unique to this particular trip visiting from uh, various parts of Mexico, Costa Rica, um, let's see, uh, Guadalajara, um, and there was also some, you know, more involvement from the, the local community. Well, we got somebody from Costa Rica on the phone right now, actually, Sebastian. Um, do you have more that you're going to want to tell us before we, we go to the call? We're gonna... We can come back to it any time. Uh, yeah, okay, so we'll, we'll take the call from Costa Rica, and then we'll come back to TJ from Orange 20. Hello, Sebastian. Hey, hey, DJ, Nick. Yeah, how you doing? Uh, hey, I'm, I'm good, I'm good, and I'm glad to be here with you guys. Um, yeah, it's great to have you again. We talked to you uh, a couple of weekends ago, and you had organized a critical mass bike ride in Costa Rica. And Right, that was basically the point, uh-huh. And you are also doing, you, you have a lot of thoughts about, uh, about uh, bikes and the way they fit into society. Well, that's basically what, something that I want to try to tackle today and bring um, an argument about the ethics and the culture of capitalism and how it basically co-opts and produces an, an eco-friendly image and an eco-friendly use of, for example, the bike and all sorts of, all sorts of products of consumption that supposedly redeem us from the destruction of environment and the predation of human beings towards nature, but in the end tend to basically hide what really is happening, you know? T basically, yeah. uh-huh. TJ's so nodding, nodding his head in, here, in the studio. He's nodding his head. Yeah. <laughs> right, so... 
So well, I want to try to. I want to try to. Sells bikes. What was that? And he sells bikes for a living. He, he sells bikes. Well, but he agrees with you. That's something. No, that's something. I I haven't really dedicated much thought yet to the aspect of bikes as merchandise, which I think is something that has to be thought. Um, precisely those efforts of being able to diffuse the use of bikes without having money in between, I think are, are most one of the most valuable aspects of constructing or building uh, like a social tissue around the use of bikes. And I was listening to yours to your show like two or three weeks ago, and and those are the, the type of things that that you that, that are being done in in places as um, the bike kitchen, no, or that was the name of the place, yeah, or, right. right? The bike kitchen, which, which are things that that we don't have here in Costa Rica, um, which are something that we should we should aspire to to have, I think. Absolutely. Right, but but then let me let me bring it back to to where I'm calling from. No, I'm calling from from a country that is supposedly a representative or a representative of a whole ethic towards nature, you know, like the image of Costa Rica. What, what do you guys think of when you when you hear the name of, of my country? Going on like a zip line through the rainforest? For example, no, like the, the most intense experience of contact with nature, no? And that is, that constitutes a whole really important, um, what do you call it? Dimension of our economy, like to say, to say the least, no. Like yeah. we're an under underdeveloped country that supposedly has been democratic and has made things in a particular way that differentiates our country from the rest of Central America. You were saying you hadn't been to Guatemala and you were there, and it was a mind-opening or an eye-opening experience, no? Yes. Yeah. Um, well, but then, but then. Yeah, tell me, tell me. No, I mean, you know, I was there for two weeks just taking Spanish classes, and I, and I just kept referring back to it, you know, for for years, you know, just for various reasons, just the experiences I had, you know, that they, they you, stayed how, with me. Yeah. And how did you see the relationship or the the dimension of, for example, eco eco-friendliness and tourism in Guatemala? Did you see any of that? Well, maybe at uh, what is it, Tikal? The the pyramids uh -huh. there. I I you know people. There's that you know people come to have this sacred experience and then you know. Um, mm -hmm. And there's just well, tons of tourists. Yeah. All right. Let me try to bring it back then. So okay. we have this this message. No, we have this this image of a of a country that is rich in in natural resources. And that has all of this, all of this nature to to exploit in a in a way that supposedly is respectful of nature itself, and then and then that that is precisely the image that promotes Costa Rica as a tourist destination, no? Like, and that that is let let's be serious about it, no? That that's sort of the 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 most direct relation relationship or association that people have of, of a tiny country of 4.5 million uh, in terms of population that that has a, a, like a, this biodiversity uh, like wealth accumulated and that is being exploited. But the thing is 
that precisely that image tends to hide the different problems around the destruction of the environment that goes on in our country. So there is also another side of the story, you know, which usually tends to be to be neglected. And let's bring it back to the use of bites, you know. Mm -hmm. This is what this is supposedly what the show is sort sort of about. Um, I don't know. Do you want to play the? Do you want to play what I sent you? Yeah, I'll play it right now. You ready? All right, let's do that. It's called uh, RSA Animate. What is that RSA? Well, what, what what you're going to be listening to is is a, basically a conference by a Slovenian philosopher who is who is trying to to build a critique of capitalism culture of an environmentally uh, conscious ethics that really just functions under the terms of charity and because of that doesn't allow people to act in ways and to think in ways that see the real problems, for example, as in the consumption of products that tend to redeem people from their guilt of destructing the world and the nature that this world is, right. and so on and so on. So I don't know, just put the, put the thing on and Here we go. see how it goes. I want to develop a very simple linear line of thought about one point, why in our economy charity is no longer just an idiosyncrasy of some good guys here and there, but the basic constituent of our economy. I would like to start with the feature of so-called cultural capital capitalism, today's form of capitalism, and then develop how the same things think applies also to economy in the narrower sense of the term. Namely, if in the old times, by old times I mean something very precise, before this 68 transformation of capitalism into, as we usually call it, more cultural capitalism, postmodern, caring for ecology and all that, what changed? What changed is that if before this time there was a simple more or less simple, opposition between here it's consumation, you buy, you speculate, and so on, then on the top of it, it comes what you do for a society, like, like Soros. He's still the old type here, I claim. In the morning, he grabs the money, if I simplify it. In the afternoon, he gives half of the money back to charities and supporting things and so on. But I claim in today's capitalism, more and more the tendency is to bring the two dimensions together in one of, and the same gesture, so that when you buy something, your anti-consumerist duty to do something for others, for environment and so on, is already included into it. If you think I'm exaggerating, you have them around the corner, walk into any Starbucks coffee. And you will see how they explicitly tell you, I quote their campaign, it's not just what you are buying, it's what you are buying into. And then they describe it to you. Listen, when you buy Starbucks, whether you realize it or not, you are buying, buying into something bigger than a cup of coffee. You are buying into a coffee ethics. 
Through our Starbucks Shared Planet program, we purchase more fair trade coffee than any company in the world, ensuring that the farmers who grow the beans receive a fair price for their hard work. And we invest in and improve coffee growing practices and communities around the globe. It's a good coffee karma. And uh, uh, a little bit of the price of a cup of Starbucks coffee helps uh, furnish the place with comfortable chairs and so on and so on. You see, this is what I call cultural capitalism at its purest. You don't just buy a coffee. You buy in the very consumerist act. You buy your redemption from being only a consumerist, you know. You do something for the environment, you do something to help starving children in Guatemala, you do something to restore the sense of community here, and so on and so on. This, and again, I could have go on, like the almost absurd example of this is so-called uh, Tom's Shoes, an American company whose formula is one for one. They claim for every pair of shoes you buy with them, they give a pair of shoes to some African nation and so on and so on, so that you know, one for one, one act of consumerism, but included in it, you pay for being redeemed of it, for doing something of environment and so on and so on. This, this uh, generates almost a kind of a, how should I put it, a semantic, semantic overinvestment of burden, you know. It's not just buying a cup of coffee. It's at the same time you, again, you fulfill a whole series of ethical duties and so on and so on. And again, this logic, I think, is today almost universalized. Like, let's be frank, when you go to a store, probably you prefer buying organic apples. Why? Look deep into yourself. I don't think you really believe that those half-rotten apples which cost double the good old uh, uh, genetically modified apples that we are like, that they are really any better. I claim we are cynics there, skeptics, but you know, it makes you feel warm that I'm doing okay. I don't know. Well, you said it's a really cool video. Um, it's an, yeah, it's, you a, can, it's a great video. Can you tell us uh, where to find it? Where to find it? Well, you can just look it up on YouTube. Um, under the name of the philosopher, which is, you pronounce it in Slovenian, so it's pronounced as Cizik. Uh, Cizik is written with a, with Z, Z-I-Z-E-K. So that's the name of the, well, that's his last name. And then the name of the video is first as tragedy, then as farce. So if you look up Cizik, farce, tragedy, it should come up right away. Um, the really cool, the really cool thing about the video is that, as as you listen to the, as you said, the very simple line of thought that he draws, uh, there is some, um, there's um, someone basically drawing like different images to illustrate, and as he as he goes on with with the with the rapid speed of, of his thought, you also see the process of of building images around it. Simultaneously, so, so I don't know. It's really cool. Uh, it's done by some, by some British folks uh, that go under the name of Cognitive Media. So they actually do, they actually do other, other, uh, like arguments, other discussions, and, and they also put it in these graphic terms that is, I think, very, um, I don't know. S Look it up. Look it up. Uh, yeah. Sorry, um, just uh, break in. Uh, my name is TJ. Hi, nice to meet you.
Um, hey, DJ. Hey, we're, uh, we're actually getting to watch the video, of course, but uh, I'm not sure how much of it comes out uh, on the radio show. Uh, people definitely should look this up. I can tell you it's pretty fascinating to, uh, to watch it. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of getting a lot out of it. I'm definitely going to look it up uh, in more detail uh, at some point soon. And um, Can you kind of paraphrase for us, like, uh, when he's uh, kind of talking about the Starbucks, is he being uh, sarcastic as far as, like, a, um, you know, uh, that... You know, there's, uh, it's all a farce uh, in basics, or is he saying like he really wants uh, more businesses uh, running along those lines of uh, giving back equally? No, it's absolutely a critique. Um, what he's pointing at is that precisely this attitude of, for example, using the bike and feeling a warm, fuzzy coziness inside because of a supposed, a supposed uh, benefit to the to the global environmental situation is actually based on an inauthentic and very superficial approach on the matter of how bikes or how biking and how consumption of how consumption and how these products are, are made in such a way that they actually blend the same dynamic of capitalism but but with supposedly a more human face, no? Well, so he's saying. I think uh -huh. I get you and uh, would agree. Um, and I think that, you know, most people that uh, kind of ride a bike, that's a, a credo in transportation, you know, have some way relating to that as well. Um, you know, I, I wanted to, like, kind of see where you were uh, coming from, uh, you know, about before. And I was agreeing with you about uh, some of the stuff you're saying. I'm very conscientious about uh, the products that are being manufactured and sold, uh, uh, basically, uh, because I'm a, a bicycle retailer. Um, and we were going to talk a little bit later on about uh, the latest U.S. trade show, which is just, uh, you know, to me, I boycotted it uh, this particular year uh, where I was just lucky enough to sit it out and not have to go there and work, but uh, it's uh, a constant rehashing of, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> people trying to make a more expensive product out of the most perfect thing that already exists uh, that's ever been invented, the bicycle, you know. Um, you can manufacture a bike, I always say, and, you know, use the raw materials and the manufacturing and the shipping that it requires, um, and it's, you know, is one of the better things that we can Involve ourselves with as far as like uh, an industry in my opinion you know I, I couldn't sell uh, washing machines or uh, new cars uh, it's it's ethically uh, um, not sustainable or good for me but uh, when, a, when a bike is made uh, you know I feel good about the fact that it's reliable uh, non-energy consuming or you know non-fossil fuel consuming uh, transportation that will you know a good steel bike will last you your lifetime you know, will be passed on generations, will be recycled, will be, you know, uh, something that, uh, you know, mobilizes the, uh, uh, you know. Well, anyways, I, I know I'm rambling, but uh, you should come to Los Angeles sometime. We'll swap ideas. I'm sure it could be absolutely enriching. Let's bring it back to the to the core issue, no, no? Sure. Um, Let's see. So I'm I'm speaking from Costa Rica, no? Like I said before, I want I want to actually try to contextualize. What is really going on with environment around this place, no? This is so, Nick like I said... I got, the, I got the phone back, so it's you talking to Nick. Go on. All right. So, the thing is, like I, like I mentioned, this image of an eco-friendly experience that is coming to this country and being an environmental tourist, to say, to put it in, in some 
vague terms. But what is actually happening is that, for example, policies around mining are are going on in such a way that there is a Canadian corporation drilling or basically tearing apart a specific zone in the northern part of the country. That, okay, so we're talking about a major mining project that has popular opposition, and yet our government is basically all out selling the image of an, of an eco-friendly country and a country that values its nature and values it in a, in a way that produces precisely an object of consumption that is sold to Americans, to tourists from first world countries that then, okay, so how do we put this into perspective in terms of what different types of tourism there are, no? Okay, so are there tourism that, as Shizek, this philosopher, is, is trying to, to put tends tend to to bring together this supposedly redeeming redeeming of ourselves through a consumption of a product that is contributing to some ideal and vague and superficial alleviation of the problems of environment are we really selling ourselves out buying these sorts of of stories these sorts of products these sorts of images about, for example, the country that I'm calling from now. So I think the point, the point is, in terms of shattering, shattering this, this spark, no? in terms of putting in question what are the real conditions that are destroying or that are producing this destruction, no? what are the real relationships that, that are at the core, that are at the base of what is really happening, you know? So using bikes, like you said, like I'm, I'm, not being, I'm not being pessimistic about the uses of bicycles. And, and I think that's exactly what we're trying to do, you know? We're trying to put into perspective how these practices should be authentic and should tend to put the problem in focus and understanding how bicycling can also be a product of this, that, that works with this ethic of self redem of self redem self redemption to uh, what do you call it through this coziness of well because I use a bike I'm alleviating the my guilt of destroying this world as we do each and every day no well okay Sebastian I think okay so what I'm getting from you is that you know people people think that they're doing enough by riding or buying bikes and and that you know there's that it that they can actually be distracted by that feeling that they're that they're um, that they're doing good by doing that. They're, they can be distracted from actually uh, changing the whole uh, context. Well, oh, but, but, yeah, but but uh, TJ's only here for like 20 more minutes, so I got to talk to him. Can we uh, continue we'll, later? Yeah. Can we do it next week? Um, the yeah, yeah, we can, like we can. Let's let's keep in touch, and it's always it's always a pleasure, and this is very stimulating on my behalf. And thanks. So I don't know. Let's Thank keep you. talking. Okay, Sebastian. From thanks a lot for coming from Costa Rica. All right, keep it moving. No. Yeah. I will. You too. Bye then. All right. Bye.
Okay, TJ, we're back to you. <clears throat> I think I might have been stood up by uh, the folks that uh, were going to come, but uh, uh, it's not a big deal. We might try to give them a call, but, uh, you know, I can basically uh, recap, uh, you know, or start out with just uh, yeah, yeah. talking yeah. about uh, the, the World Messenger Championships in Guatemala. Uh, yeah. I, I wish I had a few uh, more links. Maybe I can drop them with you and uh, by the time that you get this up on the uh, uh, Internet or something, but... Uh, it was a, a a really good scene. I'd say about a uh, hundred and twenty participants. I'm trying to look it up on my phone to tell you the exact number of uh, people that showed up. Like I said, can, people can from all go, over the world. Can you give us the the event title and what it's for and everything again? Uh, it was the uh, <clears throat> Cycle Messenger World Championships. I believe this was the 18th annual, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it's uh, I put a little post up on our website uh, about my particular version of the trip and um, I listed a few of the other cities that it's been in before. But you name a major metropolitan city, it's been there. This Tokyo? Is, uh, Tokyo, uh, last Man year. Manhattan? Uh, Manhattan a few years ago, if not London. like twice now. London's been done. Um, Amsterdam? In years past. Amsterdam's not been done, I no, don't believe. Copenhagen. No Copenhagen. I was, was going to say Copenhagen, once. then yeah. I changed it. Um, Zurich, uh, you know. Wow. Uh, so you, what's, a, what's it like when you go to one of these? Uh, it's good. It's, it's good people. And, you know, it's uh, interesting to see other people that, uh, you know, aren't aren't being paid or uh, celebritized. They just happen to do that for a living. This is one of the... You know, uh, a few perks of the job that um, bring you together, and I'd say mostly with uh, uh, good people is the, the the treasure of it. You know, some uh, just really individual, like-minded people the, that the you would have to travel around the world to meet, or you all travel around the world and meet in one place. So. Wow! So you go there and you f you find out that you know this is this uh, common bond that you have. Yeah, and it's it's good. But there's a lot of uh, you know. Uh, it, it, it's interesting. I'm not a big supporter of like nationalism or religion in any way, but uh, it, it is refreshing to see various people um, from various different cities, different localities around the world, uh, with uh, some sense of a civic pride um, and uh, a representation of their city as they travel from place to place. They're they're mindful of you know. Um, uh, various things. The, the Australians this year uh, represented themselves quite well. Um, uh, actually, they oh, they were just uh, the the most fun people to be around. I uh -huh. think they recruited uh, several other nationalities uh, from Japan and Switzerland into Team Australia for really? the team efforts of the uh, uh, some of the ratings of the races. What, um, is that? what do you mean? Well, okay. Well, um, it's. Uh, it, it, it is quite worth explaining, and I was hoping maybe Ozzy would be able to kind of go through the technical side of it, but uh, this is a professional messenger championship race, so it's very much so rudimented in, whoa, oh, sorry, it's very rudimented in the uh, uh, ways, step-by-step, uh, step that uh, the job works, uh, receiving a manifest, fulfilling the deliveries, checkpoints. Uh, yeah, is that better? Yeah. Oh, good. Um, checkpoints that uh, have a relation that have to be stamped off, uh, there's some heavy procedures, and the race is usually done that way. And uh, unlike most alley cat races, if uh, any of your listeners have been to alley cat races, oh yeah, uh, we had. Well, I've been to Cranksgiving. Cranksgiving's a good one, and that's coming up. We should definitely talk about that. Absolutely. Um, but. Uh, there, there, um, there are some rules, and uh, depending on where you're at, you know, you can find some people trying to break the rules. This one was actually uh, uh, run by a, a few individuals, and uh, 
a couple of handfuls of volunteers, including myself. Uh, that's what I went down there for, to volunteer, run a checkpoint with the Orange 20 name. Uh, also, I was representing Cranky's bike, bike Shop up in Santa Barbara. Do you want to explain how many things works with the checkpoints? Um, well, you know... They had to give us a few classes of orientation um, and multiple rounds of question and answers, rule revisions going on until the day before the race, completely reorchestrated all of the stop points the day before the race to ensure the difficulty of the race. You and when difficult. I'm talking, uh, you know, what I want to focus on is the fact that it was a difficult race. I mean, this was like okay. not just cobblestone roads, but like yeah. handmade cobblestone roads with non-symmetrical and non-symmetrically shaped rocks uh, that would just <laughs> jar the ever-living so crap out of you. Do you use a road bike for that or what? There were people that were showing up with various different uh, kinds of bikes, um, some of them riding the very bikes that they would use uh, in work. Uh, everything from, you know, beautiful carbon fiber, this and that, and track bikes of, you know, some rather one-off nature to uh, people dedicating their, you know, their their travel bike, uh, something a bit more beatable. Some people riding on mountain bikes, whereas they would normally do a road bike in their home environment because um, th- the roads were rough, and actually the roads in certain places were completely destroyed from the uh-huh. storms of late. That sounds amazing. It sounds great, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, yeah. Sort of like the the – Paris Roubaix race, I guess, with the, uh, the the one that's over the cobblestones. But right. uh, from what I've heard from some people that were at Guatemala and have that, also been to that race, is that the uh, the the Roubaix is easier because of the symmetry of the road. It's a repetitive right. but uh, even the, pace, bumpy. But yeah. So were people injured on this thing? They yeah, there was a fair amount of bloodshed and. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. No, it's, it's, it comes comes with the territory. Medic, the tough medic. people, tough people. Yeah, and you know you can get health care and uh, ride with the ambulance for you know uh, the money you have in your pocket, as opposed to all the money you have in your bank account. Right, interesting. Yeah. So, but even then, I'm sure a lot of people there. Can't. I think everybody came out pretty much okay. We had a couple people go down in various races, uh, biff themselves around, but uh, you know, shed a little skin, get a couple bruises. Uh, one guy thought he broke his hand in the skid comp, but uh, you know, he actually went to the hospital. They X-rayed it uh, thorough. He was in and out, and he, you know, just had a little bit of a sling to deal with. So when I did uh, Cranksgiving, it was um, you had to go to Ralph's and pick up some rice. Then you had to go to a Vons all the way on the other side of town and pick up some beans and a lot of it was also like how fast you get in and out of the supermarket so that's true like the winner was ron milam and he was really good at smiling at people online and getting <laughs> to go to the head of the line and and getting out really quickly but he was also of course you have to figure out the map and D- does he actually attribute that as his uh <laughs> that was our theory the people i was with uh-huh no i don't think he well he did <laughs> say that that was part of it you have to have I, people skills i i agree with that um, to to kind of fill people in, we're switching over to like talking about the uh, Cranksgiving uh, messenger race, or I'm sorry, uh, Alley Cat race, which will be happening. What, 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 what day is it? It's the third day or third week, third Wednesday or something. I don't even know Thanksgiving. <clears throat> Maybe somebody could call in. Uh, two, one, at home. The number, if you wanted to call in, is two one three two five two zero nine nine eight. Two one three two five two zero nine nine eight. Now I was just bringing up Cranksgiving. Because I wanted to give people like a, a sense of you know how an alley cat works, where you have to pick up something somewhere. Right. What well, did you have to pick up? Well, like I said, in uh, in, in Guatemala, the uh, the the 
regimentation of the race was very structured. There were people enforcing the rules, even hiding on the track. Uh, they they take the uh, the the job seriously, and they took the uh, race very seriously. A couple of the organizers uh, looked like they were going to blow a gasket from stress, but uh, okay. they did it. They pulled off an epic race in a great location. Um, you know, uh, a guy from uh, Seattle. I put the results up on uh, the website, at least for the. Um, uh, the first uh, four winners, uh, first place men's, uh, went to a, a, a guy in Seattle. I apologize. I'd have to look up to uh, repeat your name. Nice fella. Uh, a rookie, I believe. Uh, been on the job for a little over a year. Um, second place was uh, Austin Horse from New York City. Uh, he's a friend of ours, travels to L.A. more than your average person as well. Um, it's good to see him in Guatemala. Um, and uh, so the third a- place was a guy from Japan. First place ladies was a girl from Sweden, and she was a, a very strong rider. Awesome. And so this is up on your website. Mm. Yeah, I put a post up maybe a couple of days ago. Um, you might have to scroll back one page to see it. Can you say the name of your website? Oh, yeah. It's orange20bikes.com. Okay, great. Mm. Well, so, yeah. Mm, Wh- no. where, where's next year's? Uh, next year's has been decidedly, um, they, they decide these kind of things about two years in advance. So now one year in advance, uh, the, uh, the decision is made for, uh, Warsaw. Wow. Um, yeah. That sounds great. Yeah, it does. Uh, to, to be brutally honest, I was kind of curious, uh, they, they didn't really seem like they had too many accommodations set up for us. Uh, <laughs> it seems as though we have a phone call, Nick. Hi, this is Tess calling in about the Poetry and Pavement event. Oh, great. Um, Not at all. Uh, Okay, Tess, uh, tell us about it. Basically, um, what it is is I curate a reading at the West Hollywood Book Fair every year, a poetry reading, and this year I've uh, themed it all around folks that ride in the bicycle community in Los Angeles. Okay. So So all the poets are... Los Angeles, all the uh, poets are Los Angeles cyclists. Um, that sounds amazing. When is it? It's this Sunday, uh, tomorrow, and it's uh, 2 p.m. sharp on the Poetry Hybrid, hybrid st- stage at the West Hollywood Book Fair. The West Hollywood Book Fair. Uh, yeah, which is an annual event. Amazing, totally community-level book fair. Is there a website? Yes, there is. www.westhollywoodbookfair.org. Okay, so, um, great. Well, you know, a lot of our listeners are on podcast at kpfk.org. Okay. Um, is there anything you can tell us about also about upcoming events? Well, not much I can tell you about upcoming events. Um, I curate this particular reading every year, so uh, I don't curate something continuously. It used to be a continuous reading but now it's a yearly a yearly event at the West Hollywood Book Fair. Well, could, could we could we start a, maybe a poetry ride? You know, I think that would be awesome. You know, I I think that would be a great idea. I know that uh, myself, I was on the the literary committee for the fair, and I know that JP from the Bicycle Kitchen was on the theater committee, and both of us sort of worked it out to actually get the Bicycle Kitchen involved this year in the fair. And they're doing not only a booth, but JP's doing a library ride this year to the fair. Cool. So they stop at the different libraries? Yeah, she's doing like a tour of Los Angeles libraries from uh, Heliotrope and Melrose uh, to the fair, which is West Hollywood Park. And how can somebody get in touch with that? 
You know, there's a page on the West Hollywood Book Fair web, uh, website that has all the information, the meet time, everything, all on there's one page dedicated to it. That sounds cool. Okay, well, Tess, it's Sunday, the... 20, it's tomorrow, Sunday, September 26th. 26th at, at West Hollywood Book Fair. Uh-huh, which is at West Hollywood Park. Okay, and that is... Um, 2 p.m. on the Poetry Hybrid okay. stage. Okay, well, thank you so much. And uh, any, any way that other, other way of people get in touch with you? or My website is tesslotta.com, T-E-S-S-L-O-T-T-A.com. Okay. Well, thanks for calling in, Tess. Thanks so much. We'll see you there. Okay. Well, I, I don't, I can't actually make it. I'm, I'll see her. I would like to go on the tree ride or the book library ride sometime. So um, we were saying, sorry to interrupt. Not yet. Well, Where were we? Very generous of you to give the time to our to our call. Not at all. Not at all. I don't have to be able to work for another 45 minutes or so. Oh, okay. We're good. Great. Um, so we're talking about upcoming, like upcoming uh, World Messenger Championships. Oh yeah, Warsaw next year. A uh, year after that has been decided. Chicago, um, kind of uh, you know interesting. Um, I was uh, at the the Worlds for I think uh, five days. Wait, you said Chicago? Uh, yeah, it'll be like, in Chicago the Warsaw? year Warsaw in 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chicago in 2012. Oh. And uh, at the uh, last day of all of the events, uh, there was basically a forum meeting, and I suppose this is the way it's decided as far as uh, what cities host uh, the race. It is declared two years in advance. Um, uh-huh. There's uh, so uh, as of you know now, being that it's uh, two years till the next one, Chicago put in a very good bid. Um, I think a fellow named Nico, and there were about four or five other people from Chicago. They, they made a good presentation in front of the crowd, and the votees uh, were the people who uh, participated in the race this year in Guatemala. Huh. Um, there was uh, uh, basically, uh, I think, f- voting about... Um, so it, it sounds really I remember it came down to the fact that there were 29 people in favor of Chicago and exactly 29 people in favor of Mexico City. Um, and uh, there were uh, a f- handful of votes that uh, had been cast by people who had had to leave before voting, and those are for Chicago. We're not sure if they knew that uh, Mexico City was uh, an option that they could have voted for, but uh, regardless, fair and square, we're, uh, it'll be in uh, Chicago in 2012. But uh, they, they, they didn't know that Mexico City was an option. Uh, yeah, several people put on presentations as to where to uh, do next year's uh, race. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to uh, volunteer to put a lot of things together. Uh, street closures. Uh, it has to be done on a regulation closed court. It can be on regular roads, but uh, we don't do it in live traffic. Mm-hmm. Uh, say we, uh, yeah. they. Uh, I should say. Well, it's like uh, everybody who's involved. Is, it's is, true. Is... I was a volunteer this year. It was a, yeah. a lot of work, and it was good. But uh, I, I think that you know. Um, we've uh, participated in years uh, in the past and sent people there. So, um, anyways, uh, there. Uh, I, I don't believe that uh, my friend Jorge had had a chance to uh, pitch a proposition to the uh, to the attendees about uh, the Mexico City or putting in a bid, as you would say, to uh, host the World Messenger Championships in Mexico City. Um, he, he did on the last day, but uh, I'm not sure if everybody knew that that was an option to vote for. 
Um, but uh, it, it's it's kind of looking if he stays on it, uh, he'll be able to bring uh, a lot more people from uh, uh, that uh, particular area of North and South America into this international event. Uh, I kind of like the idea because we're, you know, it's been done in a lot of cities mm-hmm. and uh, they, they have something in common. Um, and, we're, you know, it's, it's great to see uh, the same people and it's great to see new people. Um, and expand it that sounds community. like a great event. So, what's the website for this? Is uh, that one? This year's uh, website, I uh, believe, is um, uh, cmwcguatemala.com. Uh, that would be what is C- CMWC Cycle Messenger World Championships. And it changed. Like, there's not a permanent website. It, it's just Guatemala this year. And uh, doing a Google search for the the World Messenger Championship okay, should okay. produce anything. I'm not sure if the Warsaw people have a dedicated site for it yet. Uh, right. But th- there is some heavy preparation that goes in on this, and it's well, all like this, uh, is, this is amazing. I think not a, not most people don't know about this. Yeah, it's it's like a it's like an alley cat race. It's like yeah. um, a sanctioned race, and it's it's like a, a community that's very. You know, a different, dedicated, and international, and you know, widespread. So let me talk to you. You got a, ha- a hat that says the juice, and it's got a, a slice of an orange on it, and mm-hmm. red and black. And uh, w- w- tell me about it. Uh, well, it seems as though uh, Orange Twenty is now behind a uh, um, sanctioned uh, road and track race team. Uh, Although uh, I think it's completely open if anybody's going to be competing in cyclocross or who knows, even competitive mountain biking in the near future or whatever it might be. We have an official race team. Um, This is, uh, we're we're not officially one year old as far as uh, sanctioning. And I'm sorry, I can't say there's a regulating body like AAA or something like that Uh that uh, does like the. uh, people that issue out the the, the license and for uh, having a, a race team that can compete. Um, we've got uh, quite a few people wearing the jerseys. Quite a few people committed in being a part of the team. And you know the way it usually works is uh, uh, over the next couple of years uh, when uh, cyclists that race for a team currently, uh, if they feel like it, they can switch over um, at one particular point in the year. Um, my associate Sean Talkington, who uh, works sorry, at the switch store, o- switch over, uh, switch over teams that they ride for. Like let's oh. say uh, anybody out there right now that's uh, you know uh, racing for uh, one of the teams or has uh, uh, somebody else's jersey on, but would ideally like to be wearing the Juice jersey at yeah. uh, sanctioned road race events. Uh-huh. Uh, what, what do they get from like being a juice a juice member. Oh, you know, uh, there's all sorts of perks, uh, but uh, I, I really there's um, it, it. It's the same for I think anybody out there. You you, you get uh, people that are so into riding their bikes, racing, uh, enthusiastic about it that uh, you got a, a lot of like regular people and a lot of fast regular people, and uh, you you end up. You know, being a part of a, a, a team or having a jersey to to represent it. How do you find these people? Oh well, you know, uh, I'd say that. Uh, wow, that's amazing. Hey, listen to Show Radio. You're talking about the juice. Hey, yeah, the juice. Hey, you, you almost blew the walls off with that phone How call. You doing? Uh, you're, you're on the radio.org. <laughs> is this Ozzy? This is Ace at uh, Marshall Bike Shop. Ace. Uh, uh, you want to talk to TJ? 
Yeah, sure, man. Here you go. Hey, it's a, uh, there's a, this red phone that's like uh, the White House in the 1970s or something. So uh, that's, uh, that's how we have to communicate on it's all online. Good. So, yeah, the juice, can you please tell some people uh, a little bit more about it? Uh, you know, uh, everybody knows I'm kind of in the, in the background on this uh, project, but uh, you're in the foreground. You got it. Well, mainly the juice is is first and foremost to promote cycling to people or ser to promote serious cycling to people that I guess would be very novice to cycling and to people that I guess are like uh, I want to say taking it a lot more serious than some and uh, we kind of have we kind of want to promote you know a harmony between the two between like a you know very very novice novice cyclist and uh, people that want to take it seriously. So with that said, we we, uh, we want to somewhat help the people that want to take it seriously by, you know, setting up training rides um, that are a little bit more difficult than what they're used to. Um, and expanding in the future, range, expanding their uh, climbing ability. I know that you guys have been doing a lot of uh, training sessions up in Griffith Park lately. Yeah, correct. Um, First of, like, like I was saying, though, first and foremost, we'd like to just promote what, uh, promote, you know, serious cycling a lot more than, you know, just commuting in that for, for an Orange 20 bike shop. Um, like you were saying earlier, Sean Talkington is actually the mastermind behind this, the, the Juice Club. And what he's always wanted to do is make it, make it easier for someone that's, to, like this new to cycling to take it a little bit more serious by showing them the steps to actually go out to a sanctioned race as opposed to just racing in these alley cats on the street. Um, I'd say that there's, um, you know, there's a lot about cycling that uh, I don't think anybody ever, you know, uh, nobody even really masters one particular segment of it, uh, road right. and um, any particular discipline down to anything you can break it down to there's always something more to learn there's always um you know it, it's not so much that it's always about the equipment it should be mostly about the rider but they they do kind of exactly hand in hand um and it, it is good that there's like uh something that just kind of takes it uh you know um it, it it pushes the 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 boundaries of people you know i think that uh a lot of people in the la area have been affected by the uh you know uh, the the uh, wolf pack scene um, I right. remember over um, those couple of first years of that, uh, seeing so many people getting uh, uh, bikes, fixing up their bikes, getting their first bike, and making a, a radical uh, uh, change in their, their lifestyle. But, you know, after a few months, I mean, all those guys were, like, seriously fit and, you know, could uh, beat the snot out of me because, uh, you know, doing a... Uh, uh, 80 hour a week job but uh you know it was it was really good to see and um you know cycling teams i think universally kind of have uh something like that going for them um there's right. a lot of really great teams and there's a lot of uh you know teams that are out there we don't want to steal any thunder away from them it's just a it's a regional uh type of uh, uh thing you know and you can support your local bike shop uh you know be out there and we love the fact that these guys represent us, you know, out of, you know, the, just the, the expression of, uh, of uh, you know. Uh, how many the other bike clubs that they can be a part of. True, yeah. Um, 
Wolf Pack is, is, a, is a prime example of, uh, of one of the things that we want to achieve. Uh, what, they, what they've done is basically, you know, done these rides that are, you know, up in upwards of 40 to 50 miles. And, um, you know, they, they've kind of grown a following. And uh, with, the, with the following, it has, has kind of gravitated uh, a set of younger kids, you know, that don't necessarily want to do tricks, which is the, the trend as far as cycling goes, but they're actually taking cycling a lot seriously. Um, they're going on these rides with Wolfpack, and, uh, you know, they're putting on their Lycra as opposed to their cut-off shorts, putting on a helmet, and, you know, they're on the front of this pack, you know, leading and forging with these guys. And with those younger kids, you know, they, they want to take cycling a lot, a lot more serious than just riding on the streets of L.A. So what the Juice does is basically shows the steps on how to take cycling a lot more serious than, you know, just riding with these, these guys on the streets. So we have a lot of these younger kids that want to take cycling a lot more serious. So what they've done is taken their track bikes, put on Lycra, and go to Encino. They've gone to Encino and t- taken these uh, entry-level classes on how to, how to ride on the track. And we're hoping with the juice, with our help, we're going to, you know, kind of nurture their, their want to, to pro- progress as far as the cycling goes. And hopefully in the near future, the juice is going to have a really solid uh, track cycling team with uh, a lot of the young kids from, you know, that, that are just around the corner from, from the shop. And uh, that's one of the cool things that I think the juice is providing. And not only that, with the, the kids, but, you know, with uh, the the seasoned cyclists, if they, if they need, you know, if they want to, part of a cycling club to you know help out these kids take the cycling more serious you know they're, they're more than welcome to you know express what they, they they feel they should do as far as you know improving on their cycling abilities cycle handling you know and, and just improve their life you know have, have a better eating regimen maybe even quit smoking cigarettes you know just anything that we can do or any help that we can we can offer to you know people that are a part of this club we want to do, you know? I mean, we're fairly young, and we're always, like, looking for for advice. Yeah, we've, uh, you know, we like um, I was saying, we're probably not even a, a full year old at, uh, at this point, but uh, that's, you know, that's, um, I'd, I'd say I'm uh, quite uh, happy with the, the results, uh, the outpouring of uh, support, uh, the, the team graphics, uh, the uh, website, uh, which I guess we should let them know that uh, you can get to it. If you go to orange20bikes.com, there is a link now on the left-hand side that will take you to the Hella Juiced blog spot. Uh, Ace, what is the actual URL of the... Uh... The actual URL of the Juice Cycling team is thejuicecycling.com, and we will be updating that periodically with uh, with uh, group and training rides, um, as well as product reviews, um, and, you know podcast directly to your cerebellum exactly yeah and just anything that we think interesting in that you know along along the lines of the juice um you know ace one thing that i really do like about the uh seeing uh the the uh the, the birth of the juice as the cycling team and you know we were all uh very much so excited in anticipation of seeing the jerseys, seeing the graphics, uh, getting a chance to wear it. Now seeing people uh, riding with the the jerseys. Uh, I'm wearing one of the hats right now. Um, I, I'd say that um, you know uh, I, I've been noticing uh, a paradigm shift in uh, basically um, people's opinions about cycling clothes. Like we've we've put out a jersey. I think exactly. it looks great. Yeah. Do a little Google search for Robin Williams and the Juice. Uh, I think you'll find something kind of funny out there on the internet. 
Um, you'll, yeah, you'll find a picture of them. Uh, but, uh, it's a great-looking jersey. I mean, Sean did a really terrific job. A couple of other artists contributed to it. But what I really love is the fact that people are uh, magnating towards um, this type of apparel as opposed to being an outsider um, who might ride a bike from time to time or rides a bike but, you know, would never don uh, the, the type of cycling-specific attire. Now that more people are riding further training um, and just uh, – you know, all the various activities they do, you're going to find out you ride harder, you need, um, you know, the uh, advantage of certain things uh, or else deal with the uh, the, the friction zones. Uh, right. So, you know, I've found a lot of people are now, like, starting to, um, you know, want to, to, to have nice jerseys in general, like cycling-specific apparel. People are, like, and I mean down to, like, you know, kids. Uh, I think there was a kid that came in yesterday, couldn't have been more than 14 with one of our local buddies from the neighborhood and uh you know he's hooking his friend up getting him a nice road helmet you know and it's like uh, exactly you didn't see that kind of stuff and i'm i'm happy that we've been a part of it you know me and you and the the team and that uh if you know uh if there's uh if there's uh, ever been a good trend it's uh the kids and adults wearing helmets while cycling yeah right and that's uh, one of the things that's like youth youth cycling and uh you know and uh, keeping this kid safe is one of the the, the ideas yeah. behind behind the Orange Twenty Bikes and the Juice, you know. And you know, I, I know in the years we're going to see more and more evolution out of this. I mean, uh, we've still got a, a long ways to go um, as far as uh, you know, really turning uh, the the culture of this city and the the world uh, uh, to to make it as cycling friendly or as uh, exciting as it was like. You know, in the 1920s, cycling was the biggest sport that, uh, you know, North America or even internationally was uh, celebrated or looked at. And um, I am starting to see people starting to, uh, you know, really magnate themselves towards uh, specific genres of the bike. And that's that's a, a, a good thing, you know. Yeah, I, I, I guess L.A. has got, I guess, a little behind when it comes to cycling culture as far as, like, other metropolitan cities in America. Um, but, like, lately, like you said, you're seeing a lot more people on the streets. And we're, we're hoping that, you know, Orange 20 Bike Shop and the Juice will, you know, help nurture that and help the city grow more and more, uh, grow more and more as a bike-friendly city, mm-hmm. you know? And, I mean, you know, we should look uh, to all sorts of different places and actually even different timelines uh, through history to kind of, you know, start magnating ourselves back to what we want. I mean, uh, if anybody's out there, do a little uh, uh, Google search on um, uh, cycling in East Berlin. Um, it was uh, huge in the, the um, communist uh, Berlin. Uh, really some kind of things that, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing again, you know, like having uh, basically the some of the, the the biggest social events were, you know, local races. Um, there was uh, there have been some times when uh, there was a, a lot of cycling stuff going on all over the world, and uh, it's it's still as fun as it ever was, if not even more. So, um, anyways, rambling again. <laughs> Ace, uh, thanks for talking. Um, you going to be there at 12? I will. I'll see you there. All right. Have a good day, man. So, so that was actually somebody who works at Orange 20? Uh, yes, sir. That was my uh, one of my 
esteemed sales associates, Ace Cartero. So I, there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk about. You probably, how much time do you have left? Like 10 minutes? 15, 20? Uh, I got to be there at 12. I'm about 15 minutes away. Oh, cool. So you talked about kids a few times. I am a middle school teacher now, and I met somebody with the LA Education Partnership who wants me to put her in touch with somebody who's bike related or connected who can put together a program where kids learn about physics and math from rebuilding bikes. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you would directly be interested in that or if you might just brainstorm about, you know, uh, just, uh, thinking about it, there's, uh, a, a few individuals that come to mind. Uh, you know, some of my, uh, sometimes the centric, uh, clientele that has the more engineering, uh, -huh. Uh, eye to things. That'd be uh, amazing. Yeah, if you could grab that person or people. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll try to keep my uh, my eyes out. You know, um, we're always getting all sorts of requests. Just yesterday, somebody calls me up from uh, somewhere in East Tennessee, asking uh, for me to find her three to four people that would be willing to make $200 in four hours by, uh -huh. you know, being in some type of video spot. Uh, I've actually, uh, you know, I, I debated about it, and I wrote the phone number down. I figured I'd pass it on. So uh -huh. if anybody's interested in that, call up the shop today. I've uh, got the person's phone number. And the, well, I don't the, there's, she, she wants. Yeah, you know, what, what, the, there's always somebody doing something. They turn a camera on, and they got a little budget. Right. And so they're, they're doing some type of internal film, you know. But, it's, but uh, this, mayonnaise this, commercials, we call them. Okay, but this seems like a little, like, you know, this is actually part of uh, – Orange Twenty seems to be interested in kids. Well, in the neighborhood. You got. I mean, you're always trying to think about. Well, Jim C was our our, our host for the first year and a half. Was always, uh, I think, thinking about how to be more of a positive influence on the kids who hang around the shop. Yeah, I'd say that uh, he was definitely always focused on that. And uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that. Uh, you know, um, it was me and Jim from the the very get go, and uh, before. We started Orange Twenty Bikes. We were also two of uh, the the more active volunteers at the Bicycle Bike kitchen. kitchen. We also happened to live in the same east northeast neighborhood of Los Angeles, which was a, a bit out of the way for some of our other friends. So we hung out a lot, and we do share a lot in common, like our uh, relation to you know our evolution with uh, the bikes. You know, starting on the BMX and trying. Uh, uh, diving kind of heavy into every other genre beyond that. Uh, one thing about Jim and his relationship with uh, the kids, uh, it's more than what just manifests itself at the store or who we can help out or what specifically we can do. Me and Jim and uh, always realize that, uh, you know, first and foremost, the most important thing that a young person ever sees in their life is that first person that can bunny hop a bike. Uh, up to waist high and when you see their eyes light up and their jaw drop and they realize that people are capable of doing this uh, that gets them started yeah. on the right track you know who knows how far they'll go you know to try to emulate that or to to, to learn those things for themselves but you start a kid riding and you start them on a bmx or you start them on whatever i prefer start them on a bmx you can treat those bikes real rough and they'll grow with you uh, but uh, you, once that person gets to the point where they're 
you know, wanting to ride other genres of bikes, commute further. They've they've got a skill set. They've got a, a heritage of cycling uh, in streets like these. So your your backgrounds in BMX. What uh, do you still do that? Oh yeah, still got a couple bikes. You know, it's. Because uh, I remember you at a few events with with a really small bike. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, my small bike's still my favorite, without a doubt. It's, uh, you know, even if I don't get a chance to ride it, it uh, I'll prop it up and stare at it for an huh. hour or so. Really? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> what kind of bike is it? No, I just built myself a new little flatland bike, actually. I'm still in the process of tweaking and changing a couple parts on it, but... Uh, Flatland bike, uh, this Australian company called Colony. It's like a Simon O'Brien signature, and it's a tiny, tiny little orange frame. See, the thing is, most people they see the bike and they think they could jump on it, and uh, they they that they're gonna go and jump a ramp with it. But uh, if they get on my bike, they'll quickly realize that they're knee's going to smash the handlebar and that the thing's about six inches shorter it feels like than a regular bmx you know so it's made for like balancing on one wheel huh yeah so it, it's it's just it's a crazy little design it's awkward as hell it's uh-huh. uh hard to get across town but uh you well would you go across town yeah i'll go wherever i have to with it you know i'll take another bike if you know uh if I have to go uh, far, but if I want to go anywhere and do those type of maneuvers, then that's definitely what I'm taking. What are some maneuvers that you do, and what is Flatland? Uh, you know, uh, I think we might have covered some of this before, but uh, just uh, again, I'll make uh, uh, reference to the, you know, internet as far as a source. If you start typing in Flatland and Google, or better yet, YouTube, because um, uh, Flatland is. Uh, it's something that I'm just I'm I'm very interested in, and it's uh, it's a really particular genre of BMX, uh, and it's most people are familiar with it, but they don't know to call it flatland. They might call it like freestyle or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's 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 truly a bit of performance art that uh, uh, really can't be evaluated or graded or judged. Uh, as as any other genre of bike is, it's it's beyond judgment. Yeah, wow, it's, is it's it newish art. or is it? This is old? uh you know the the one of the coolest things about you know is Flatland new? Flatland's not new. It's uh, probably got a, a culture and a heritage going about thirty years on BMX bikes, and there's been so much evolution in the parts, the technology, the manufacturers, the companies. The progression of riding has uh, continued to uh, expound upon one person's imagination and into another's where uh, people starting to ride now are trying tricks that were more advanced than what was happening in 1998. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but it's, uh, it's possible when people start pushing that level of progression there's levels of progression that I've seen in every genre of sport uh, at, at this point. Mountain biking is getting to uh, a, a plateau that is, you know, just incredible. You know, and you compare mountain biking now to five years ago, ten years ago. Um, these these industries uh, aren't dead. And beyond, you know, making bikes or selling bikes, uh, the uh, genre, that hobby, that dedication there's so much stuff going on. You could dedicate your entire life to uh, 
to trying something on one of these bikes, uh, everything's progressed, um, and it continues to what, what's shock your, and amaze What's your me. favorite thing to do? Your favorite, would you call them trick? Yeah, yeah. There's not a better word for it. I guess you have to say trick, but uh, there's no fooling physics, right? Um, there's no what? You can't fool physics. Uh, trick is what we, everybody yeah. calls a bike trick, you know, but right, there's, right. there's no trick, you know. It's, it, it either works or it doesn't. Um, huh. I've got a few riders that I, I really admire and look up to and I'd say are uh, more than partially responsible for me uh, living in Los Angeles uh, over the last, like, going on 10 years now. Um, like who? Uh, uh, Chad Johnson, Chris Day, Bobby Carter. Uh-huh. Um, we had Bobby Carter on the show. Jesse Puente. Uh-huh. Um, some of those guys, you know, for for me to meet, like, Jesse Puente and be friends with them on a personal level, you know, uh, is uh, smoothed away for me being comfortable around Robin Williams if he comes in. I can just say yeah, hi, Robin. Yeah, what's up Robin, with Robin Williams now? Uh, he's a big cyclist. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, and he comes to the uh, Orange Twenty. Yeah, yeah, he stops through from time to time. I guess he's, uh, you know, um, he, he's a, a, a super nice guy. Um, uh, you know, at least as far as we can tell. Yeah. Pretty similar to, uh, you know. <laughs> he's not going to come in and yell at, and yell at everybody. <laughs> he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't do nanu nanu. Uh, <laughs> it's it's not like Does something he, do he throws out. Is he funny? <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's come into the shop a few times. You know, it's we're in the middle of Hollywood. There's, uh, you know, uh, there, there's celebrities amongst us. So. Well, you're in East. It's called East Hollywood, and it's actually now, it's now called officially East Hollywood. But right? is it officially the bike district? Ha. Uh, it's not officially the bike district. Uh, but you have an official looking n- sign. Yeah, right? Jim uh, nailed that sign up at uh, one of the block parties a couple years ago. It's a it's a homemade sign, hand painted, uh, but. Uh, yeah, it looks very official. It looks like the uh, same signs you see driving around historic Filipino yeah. town or little Armenia. And then you see that one that says Bicycle District. And it's a rumor that we're trying to spread that it is official. So, <laughs> you know, let's uh, officially spread it's the rumor. The corner of Heliotrope and Melrose. <laughs> yes, it's unofficially and it's got, official. It's got a certain cachet. Uh, a cachet <laughs> of style, you mean? Yeah, well, I mean, Orange 20 has a like a cultural niche. Yeah, uh this guy from Chinelli uh, was uh, talking with us the other day, and he referred to the shop as prototypical. And uh, I kind of like that word. I've been, you know, kind of uh, meditating on that one. Well, part of it is that you have the bike kitchen right there, too. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like this magnetic electric field that's generated between the two, between the, the collective and the, and the retail. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now it's something that's uh, being replicated uh, in other uh, places, Los Angeles, other states. And, you know, I think uh, people really kind of have it in their mind that uh, that's uh, a good business model, a nonprofit side to a for-profit side, separate or connected. Sort of like, we've talked about this before, sort of like uh, Tom's Shoes, but two different companies. Like one gives the shoes away and is a nonprofit, and the other one Mm -hmm. sells the shoes and is a for-profit. True. Um, you know, the the Bike Kitchen is, is a collective of volunteers. Um, I'm still a member but not an active volunteer. Uh, we find ways to just work together, but mostly by just being on the same block. Uh, they're, they kind of stay a little bit – they're completely separate on the books, and, you know, it's – 
it's really not even something that either of us has to consider. How do the two work together? You know, the the two were just obvious work together because, sort of. you know, you want to do it yourself. There's the spot you want right. uh, to get the part that works. Here's the spot. So. Right. The hours overlap. It's it's been a no brainer for everybody involved. Some, sometimes I want my bike fixed, and I don't want to have to, uh, you know, spend all day, you know, doing it wrong. So yeah, very true. That's, and then learning how to do it right. That's why me and Jim started the the you know our shop was to you know alleviate that. Not that you know not to imply in any way that a bad job is done at the kitchen. But well, it's you just know, you're doing it yourself. And, 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 and if you don't, mistakes. you know, if, you, if you're trying to put a headset together with uh, a drawer full of 3,000 discarded non-matching headset pieces, <laughs> you're going to be there all day there, there and it's going like, to be a, a poor result to it. There's you know? like a, a kung fu, you know, snatch the pebble from my hand kind of aspect <laughs> going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, one thing that I could definitely say to anybody that's listening or out there, um, spread the word about the bike kitchen. Uh, they're always uh, in, in dire need of additional uh, good-hearted volunteers. Uh, donations from the public is what uh, keeps the place going, both uh, in the fact that they don't charge or sell anything, but uh, if you go in, they might ask for a few dollars in stand time donation. Uh, Please, you know, encourage anybody you know if they've got uh, an older bike uh, that uh, is not serving them as well as it should right now uh, to, to to please consider donating it. Uh, some of the places on the west side, I think, get some better donation materials that they can either uh, auction off or use it to sustain their nonprofits. Uh, in L.A., we get kind of picked through and, you know, we'll end up getting a few huffy bikes donated but the those bikes have limited usage um be, because of the nature of the way that they're made you know like walmart bikes walmart bikes yeah target bikes um i mean please donate those as well we can scrap them recycle them in a way that's you know more direct than throwing it on the curb yourself uh but uh they they really make use of everything i mean uh, uh it's it's a very direct form of recycling, but uh, it, they, they really always need more uh, good stuff to be donated. And I, I definitely take it into consideration if somebody, you know, comes over to my shop and they're looking at a bike and I'm like, well, it's a good bike, but we're looking at like $200. I mean, uh, we, don't, we don't try to gouge people, but, you know, new tires, the labor, the chain, I mean, look at it. You've let it go. You know, it's it's been sitting out. You know, it's It needs work. So they weigh the $200. Is it worth to fix up the old bike? Of course, I think it's worth it. But, you know, is a new bike not a better solution for you? And, you know, would you please consider donating yours to the bicycle kitchen? Right. You know, we can definitely work something out so that you and the next person can be on the road. So um, I want to ask you questions about, like, what's it like to be the owner of a bike shop? It seems like kind of like a, a guy fantasy, you know, like like owning a bar. I can't think of anything else besides owning a bar that would be, like, close to that. Well, All right. Know. Well, you know, talk to a uh, bar owner, and, you know, they'll probably have uh, uh, quite a few concerns or stuff on their front and rear burner all at once, so... It's kind of the same thing, you know. It's it's great to have, um, you know, uh, a business that's managed to keep its doors open to the public for going on five years now. Um, I feel like we've done a lot of good, but uh, <clears throat> you know, it, it's uh, it, it's it's difficult in this day and age, uh, yeah, especially when you're honest and pay your taxes. 
It's, yeah, you're uh, telling me like sales tax is actually. Yeah, you, we won't get into that though. I mean, that's you know, it's, okay. it's the same with anybody that's got a, a business, and you know, it's always much more glamorous from the outside. Uh, I I feel incredibly thankful to be. Uh, to, to be where I'm at right now, to have the shop just up and running. All right. Um, we got chicken leather on the air. Do you want to just take a... Uh, yeah, I guess I probably got to be on the, move, on the way out. I got stuck in a police thing. They're, I guess they're looking for somebody in the area, and it's like... It just amazed me how much of a carbon footprint they're leaving here. Just trying to find somebody that basically just sort of trespassed. Well, um, call back. Can you call back in uh, 15 minutes? Yeah. What, what are you guys talking about? We're ta- we got TJ from Orange 20, and we're talking about... Oh, right. Yeah. It's, it's been a while. You know, uh, Black Woman Sidekick was up at the BFF that uh, Jim Cadenhead did, or Jimmy C did up in, uh, in uh, Santa Barbara. Pretty awesome, she says. Cool. All right. We'll call back in, in a few, okay? All right. All right. Bye. Uh, can you want to explain what he's talking about? Uh, I don't know. Try it again. Uh, it sounds like it's on now. Uh, explain what? Who was talking about? Chicken Leather? Yeah. Um, for those of you guys that don't know, Chicken Leather is another personality that a fixture comes uh, across quite well in person, and you don't get the full effect on the radio. Hi, Chicken Leather. Um... What was he? Uh, what was he referring about? I think he said he was in the, the middle BFF. of a manhunt. Oh, right, right. His friend went up to the uh, bike film festival. Here goes the phone again. Haha. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Jim C. Actually, uh, you know, he has his bike shop up in Santa Barbara. It's called Cranky's. It's up and running. It looks really good. Uh, he's got some custom uh cache murals painted in the backs uh, he did uh, a really bang up job uh setting up his shop he's been hosting the uh, bicycle film festival uh santa barbara which i believe is the first year that they've done it in santa barbara it just left like los angeles a couple weeks ago went to denver came back to santa barbara or something to the, in the line of that yeah uh so yeah i was up in santa barbara uh saw jim's shop uh f- several weeks ago and um, uh, I th- I think I know the theater where they did it at, and it's it's a pretty uh, classy, classic looking uh, theater. You know, uh-huh. has that old school look to it. You know, the, uh-huh. the fabled silver screen. So, uh, yeah, a big props to Jim for bringing the international event up to his sleepy little town. So Jim is is waking up the sleepy little town of Santa Barbara. Yeah, he's he's definitely made an impact. Um, so that's what's his bike shop in Santa Barbara called? Cranky's. Cranky's, right. I'm sorry, you yeah. just said that. We got on the phone, Wanda from Community Cycles in Boulder, and I wanted to talk to her about the award that Community Cycles got from the League of American Cyclists for. Hold on a second. Yeah. Hey, um, so can you tell us what the award was that, that Community Cycles won? Sure. So we've just been designated, or well, we're redesignated because two years ago we were designated a silver-level bicycle-friendly business, and that kind of uh, goes along with our our city of Boulder is a bicycle-friendly community, you know, from the League of American Bicyclists, which you know means that we encourage it, we educate people about it, we engineer our city so that it's friendly to bicyclists and so that it's accessible. 
pretty so, much it. So the city is, is also getting a, a note, a, recognized in this award? Yes, the city was originally recognized in 2004 at gold level, and then in 2008 it was redesignated as a platinum, and it's one of three cities, including Portland and Eugene, Oregon. and Or, I'm sorry, Portland and Davis, California. Uh, yeah, Davis. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not one of the best-known uh, cities. Uh, Definitely. For biking or bicycling, bicycling or otherwise, <laughs> probably. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, uh -huh, go ahead. And Boulder. Yeah, and Boulder's, you know, been striving for a while to be on that level, too, which, of course, now that we're there, doesn't mean that we're stopping. But, you know, Community Cycles thought a couple years ago, we're like, hey, well, you know, the city's a bike-friendly community, and we want to see more businesses embracing bicycling and, you know, inviting people and encouraging people and, not making it a competition against, you know, the people who come shop here by cars or the people who come out in cars. So we thought, well, you know, we need to get on this and we need to be out there and be advocates for this. So we decided to get ourselves designated, too. And we did. And like I said, this is the second time we're getting our redesignation. That's your redesignation as the... As a silver-level city. Okay. I have TJ here. He uh, runs Orange 20 Bikes, which is right across from Bike Kitchen in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. uh, he'd like to uh, he, he'd like to ask you a question. Sure. Here. Hello, Wanda. This is CJ. How are you? Hey, good. How are you? Good, good. Um, there, uh, I'm getting to the point where I'm about to have to run out the door, but uh, we're, thank you for calling the radio show. Yeah. Um, you know, I... I think um, I would like to learn more personally about, uh, what did you say, it was the Silver Level program that you're... Uh, Bicycle-friendly businesses. Bicycle-friendly businesses? Yeah. So I was listening to what you were saying, and it's and your uh, guy fantasy sounds a little like our community cycles fantasy. Uh -huh, uh, uh -huh. We're a nonprofit bike shop, and we're a collective. Um, you know, just lots of similar things, and we have retail, except we have our retail and our... Um, and our and our bike, you know, our nonprofit is all together. We haven't actually branched out yet, and um, so one of the things, you know, we're we're doing pretty much the same thing you guys are getting people on bikes. We do earn a bike programs is our big thing, but we also have retail, and you know, we do tune-ups for people who, like you were saying, don't want to take the time to to do it wrong or do it right and may not have the time. So we offer that too. Right, right. Um, you know, um, we're the kind of the notorious uh, within the, the bike kitchen and I guess my shop are kind of looking at an uphill uh, ride, uh, we'll mm -hmm. call it a battle, but uh, yeah. an uphill ride uh, against uh, the force of gravity, but uh, whereas, um, you know, I, I think at this point, uh, we really, LA needs to start looking at uh, a lot of other, you know, cities for just uh, some ideas, and I like the idea when I hear about, uh, you know, bicycle-friendly businesses mm -hmm. because, um, you know, I'm, I'm constantly going to places and uh, asking to speak to the, the management on the floor there, um, you know, because I'll, I'll get it in my head and I'm a stubborn person and I'll get the manager and start, uh, you know, asking them what they could do uh, better as far as putting up bike racks and how many, you know, how much space, time and, um, you know, uh, effort and man hours they invest into maintaining that car parking lot while at the same time, you know, giving me option zero for you know, bike parking and, you know, security here is, uh, uh, I'd say, a, a joke. Um, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's a dangerous place to park a city. So do you have, like, businesses that are, like, when you say they're bike-friendly businesses, is there, like, uh, uh, some type of cooperation with their, like, infrastructure? Are they, like, 
How does oh, it work? Def- definitely. And, you know, they absolutely need to hear that kind of thing that you're telling them. And we do a fair amount of that, too, and we encourage our members to do that. Um, one of the things, well, in, there's actually two, or we're one of two bicycle-friendly businesses in Colorado, both being in Boulder, and the other one's Green Guru. But, uh, we're, you know, same kind of thing, getting people to have infrastructure, bike racks out there. Um, we just had two bike corrals opening up in two businesses, two coffee shops in town, the Cup and the Trident. And, you know, the, kind of the thing of not competing, you know, it's not just all these parkings for cars because people come and shop in cars. That's absolutely not true. You know, Boulder has a cycling culture, and I would say that it's a lot easier to get around town and get into, you know, the shopping areas, the local shopping, because we do encourage local businesses and we support them. You know, and I think that it's important for us to be out there and telling people, you know, you, you need a bike rack out there. Uh, you know, so how, you how many people bicycle corrals in your particular? Two, yeah, yeah. Are those the new or? They're just new. They're just, they're brand spanking new, actually. We just inaugurated them last week. They sheltered? Can you give us an idea, like, approximately how many bikes? Uh... They're currently not sheltered. They're, they've removed uh, one parking space, okay. maybe two. In, uh, each, in front of each business, and, you know, it's on the main drag. It's on Pearl Street, which is our downtown. Okay. And um, they just put in bike racks, and I think they hold 10 bikes. That's great. I mean, you know, one less car parking spot and Yeah, exactly. And 10 I think more. we've been, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about, well, what are they going to say about losing business, you know, parking mm-hmm. space to cars, which is, you know, just kind of a silly thought because it's I think the one. revenue from one parking space, you know, can pan out to it, there's no you know they're not there's not a fee for parking your bike there obviously but you know as i was saying i just think that many people find that it's a lot easier to get downtown and ride around you know and do their shopping and get everything they need and bike and boulder's just a really bike friendly city and it has a great climate you know and bike paths and lanes and whatnot so we really need to take advantage and I was going to ask Nick uh, if he's familiar with, uh, are, are there any uh, bike corral projects that uh, you're aware of or any, like, thing that we could consider to be a bike corral anywhere in the big city of Los Angeles at the moment? Uh, let's see. Bike Somebody was talking about bike corral. Is it, is it uh, par- parking day? That's all I can think of is a temporary bike corral situation. Yeah, which is kind of a cool thing. I'm not sure if anybody's, like, kind of spear-pointing. Uh, any events for parking day, but that's kind of the same thing, but it's it's not really city-sanctioned or permanent. We just go and uh, set up a barbecue grill or a kiddie pool in a parking uh, space and, uh, uh, you know, make a, make a day of it. Um, it's, uh, it. It's good that, uh, you know, uh, other places are, you know, uh, putting in parking corrals. I think uh, we're... We might need to see if we can get some of those going around the city. Absolutely. I think Long Beach, they have something similar, but... Uh, Long, Long Beach, yeah. yeah. A, lot, a lot going on in Long Beach. Yeah. Um, well, guys, I'm going to have to get going. Uh, okay. Got a, a bike shop to run. <laughs> All right, well... Nice chatting with you. Yep. Uh, well, thank you, Wanda. Do you have anything else you want to let us know about at Community Cycles or in Boulder? Well, pretty much, you know... Keep on advocating for bikes, and uh, don't always take the stand that it's bikes against cars, even though I definitely, I'm car-free and have lived car-free, never had a driver's license, and really want to see less cars out there, but I think that working together and working with the, you know, local government is really a big, it's a big important piece of the puzzle. Um, 
because otherwise we're just a little drop of water in a big bucket. Right, uh, Pebble in the Avalanche. Yep. <laughs> um, well, thanks, Wanda, and please call back uh, anytime yep. with, with news about what's going on at, at Community Cycles. All right. All right. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. So we're, you're clearing out, and uh, it was good talking with you. You as well, Nick. Um, coming, uh, coming up events, upcoming events? Uh, well, there's Cranksgiving, which uh, if anybody out there can still call in, I think is the third Wednesday of every month. Cranksgiving of every month they have Cranksgiving? No, I'm sorry. Third, third week of November. Third week of November. I think uh, third Wednesday. Maybe that's the update. Okay, let's check another again. I think we're going to take his call. So, um, yeah, so you're heading out. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. What what bike does a bike owner ride? Uh, same parts I've had for, you know, five, six, seven, eight years. Just switch over the frame when somebody wants to buy what I'm riding. Uh, I got like a little Soma Rush, just black, flat black. Nothing fancy, nothing expensive. Uh, just a regular old workhorse. And uh, do you get time to ride? You said you work 80 hours a week. Um, not really, but, uh, you know, a couple of hours dedicated to the, uh, the the Flatland BMX bike is really all I want out of my bicycling experience. And you just need, like, a backyard, I guess. I need a perfectly flat piece of concrete, uh, and you would be amazed that 80% of this entire city is paved, but I think that uh, less than .001% of it is not flat, uh, or it is actually flat. Uh, everybody always looks at it, you know, after they've seen, you know, some flat land, and they say, oh, wouldn't that be a good spot? Uh, it, no, no, it's... Uh, Everything is paved and on the cheap uh, here. Uh, I've found you can find a spot almost every uh, you know, every few miles uh, apart from each other, and at that point you're probably going to get uh, you know kicked out by their security or hassled by something in the local environment. So it's kind of tough. Can you give a tip on a good flat spot for a prospective rider? Uh, mine is secret, uh, but uh, if you come by the shop and we decide we're going to ride, uh, there's a couple of places. Uh, one of the best and largest public places, I guess, is at the uh, Overflow parking lot to the Universal Studios uh, Red Line. It's also like parking that they use for the uh, Hollywood Bowl. Um, during this particular part of the year, though, it's uh, full of... Uh, Cars, people test driving new cars, uh, cars parked for the Hollywood Bowl, and security that will not let you ride in the, uh, you know, quarter of a football field of smooth paved concrete that is there because, you know, why would you be allowed to ride a bike, you know, um, come back when you want to cut donuts in your uh, car, you know, uh, it's, it's tough. That place right. will be open again soon, though, and a lot of the other guys, they go to Venice Beach. That's uh, where you can find Jesse Puente from time to time. Uh, he's a living legend. L.A. is thankful to have him. Well, um, thanks for coming in, and I heard that, you know, is anybody listening, if you if you want to try some flatlining, you can actually come down to Orange 20, talk to TJ, and uh, he might show you his, his secret riding spot. 
secret riding spot. All right, thanks, TJ. And now we got, uh, we'll talk to you again. Chicken leather. Hey. What's you know, you know it's really kind of funny. This is all kind of serendipitous. Uh, the Hollywood Bowl was one of my first jobs when I was a kid parking there. So it, it's funny because for years they had what they called the top lot at the Hollywood Bowl. What they did is, and I researched it, it was supposed to be where they were going to put the Hollywood Studio Museum. Uh, what it was is they finally did put it down on what was a uh, uh, there the original uh, picnic area. If you registered on, this is before online and stuff, you used to have to mail in, and if you were like Kiwanis or something, or big group, they would give you this picnic area, and that's where the, the, the museum currently resides today. But before that, they kicked, uh, uh, after a much publicized on television, it was one of the first live events, uh, along with uh, mine disasters and sinkholes and everything else, this uh, apparently ex-GI uh, had bought the house, was living there. He was a war veteran, and um, the city of Los Angeles said, we need this eminent domain for this, this studio thing we're going to build. And, and he said, no way. He said, that's like great money and everything. So the marshals came and served them. They kicked him out. They leveled the house, and they made it the top lot of parking lot in the Fairfield parking lot. And for years, people used to come along and go, hey, where's the studio, uh, Hollywood Studio uh, Museum? And we'd go, oh, it didn't get built. Because it was still in, uh, believe it or not, litigation for 20 years. So now the 90s come up. They finally put it in. They didn't even put it in the same place, which is sad. So you talk about building kind of infrastructure for cars. My God, there's so much infrastructure the city doesn't use. It's, it's ridiculous. And... Having said that, this is a preamble to last night's critical mass. I don't yeah, know if you talked about it. Yeah, thank you. No, we didn't. But talk. last night's critical mass was, in my words, just insanely big. Before I even got there, there were people from all over the city coming every which way direction. And in fact, I came around on the back of it, and there were literally two parking lots full of just motorcycle police. And I thought to myself, my God, what, what, you can't have this many people this many police without, is, is there something really going on? And, and lo and behold, I turned the corner, and it was just, it was it had gotten so big with the media, uh, and I, I mean not just Kill Radio that goes on all these rides, but there was two, four, seven, they were all looking at it like some sort of like, yes, we're going to take care of this biking problem, but it just got too big for them even. So what uh, happened? Yeah. What, what I really want to stress was, this is supposed to be a metro station, which is supposed to be public space. Yet they've leased it to this uh, fledgling kind of operation that w is looking at expanding the housing. Nobody, I don't know who does, but I'm sure at some future date, somebody's going to want to live on Wilshire and Western. Until then, these are all vacant lots. There's only a couple of, of stores, a phone store, and um, that's about it. The rest of it is vacant. Yet the security insists that you have to stay off it. And, in fact, they yellow taped all the steps. And I'm going, it's just steps. Why would you yellow tape steps? And, in fact, everybody respected the yellow tape. Nobody got there. And, in fact, that made it even more congested. So after this is over, my colleagues in the uh, media, uh, I said, aren't you going to come along on the ride? And they go, what, and carry this camera? And I'm going, 
I carry my camera all the time. And they were kind of, kind of, I think, taken back by the fact that one of the women said, yes, well, we'd go on the ride. And I said, well, you know, you're welcome to come next month. You know, you don't have to bring your own crew. And if you do bring your crew, that's, that's even better. I said, there's all sorts of uh, bike, bikes now, uh, cargo bikes or, you know, uh, extra cycles that, that can carry equipment and stuff. Right. And you'd really be eliminated. But suffice to say, the police went out of their way to accommodate us. They corked. Uh, I have to give great kudos to the police. And, in fact, everybody thinks that we're at odds with them. We are not. There, there were a number of meetings to control just the numbers, but I, I think... Can you, can you explain? You said they clerked. Uh, they they blocked uh, intersections for us and let us go. And, in fact, their, their idea was don't cork the intersections. If you do, you'll be arrested. Don't, the, the riders shouldn't... The riders. The riders on the ride don't do anything out of the ordinary. If the police are there and, and waving you on, accommodate them. And I thought I'd be riding for just a block or two because uh, I had to go on black woman sidekicks, uh, birthday Playboy bunny ride, which was phenomenal. I mean, you talk about how... Okay, who's black woman sidekick uh, Black woman sidekick is, is my esteemed colleague on Talk is Still Cheap, and without getting into a whole, like, you know, where we're playing and all this other stuff, we, we just want to say that we were going to go on the ride regardless. I mean, if you had a choice between going out with sweaty guys, setting a pace with the police following you, or a nice leisurely ride on a Friday night with cake, I think there were three cakes. There was a velvet cake, and then you got the cake before you even started the ride. And then... So you could ride it off. Yeah. We, we went to all the sites where the Playboy bunnies were. So all the girls were dressed in Playboy bunny outfits, and they provided, like, ears and... Or, okay, what ride was this? Uh, the, the Playboy Bunny ride last night. Veronica's birthday ride. It was awesome. Oh, I, I did not know about that. It was, well, it was posted on Nick uh, Riders. You know, I have another call, but I, I think Kill Radio is of more importance. So we, ju we just want to say that after it was all over, I have to give... I, I saw these guys. We, we met at Hollywood and Highland because of the long distance we were going to face. And it was really amazing because when we got there... Um, the the media thought we were critical mass, and we said, no, 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 we're we're the bunny ride, and they all said, oh, and there were some tall bikes and stuff, and you know how tall bikes are, they always attract attention, mm -hmm. and and it, it was funny because they said, well, you must be here, you must have gotten the tweet or whatever, and I said, no, I'm just here, and as we got there, we were descended upon by like at least 40 or 50 motorcycle cops, and I said, I said, wow, they really want to come on this Playboy bunny ride. And so, in fact, our friend called us uh, and she texted us and said, hey, you guys are on the news. And I said, but we're, we're not critical mass. They kept referring to us as critical mass. So uh, I think these guys in the what, media what have news, to come. What news were you on? Well, 2-4 uh, and, and 7 and then something the, else. The Playboy ride? It. It, was, it was like there were helicopters and all this stuff. And all we were... And, and all they did was, everybody was filming us, and we hadn't even started the ride with, like, ten people. In fact, they scared away a couple of the girls. And Spider-Man was even there, doing his bit for, you know, being on Hollywood Boulevard as one of the performers. And But there, there's been some stringent laws against performers, so he sort of, like, climbed up on the thing and got away. At that point, he climbed the, up the, thing? He he like climbed, climbed the, up the, the, the pole 
to get on one of the tall bikes. And, and so I guess there's some pictures of Spider-Man trying to negotiate the tall bike with somebody on it. It, it was it was basically a circus atmosphere on Hollywood Boulevard. If you were a tourist, you got your your little fill of what Hollywood is in terms of public space that is accessible. And that's the reason I pointed out because even though that's a metro station, it seems that the metro stations are being used in a privatized kind of way. And I really would like to address that at some point. Maybe. Yeah. You can talk about that because I, I, as far as I'm concerned, the Hollywood Bowl, getting back to TJ where he was going to show you it's nice flat land, but it's basically been sort of, now it's the bastion of the car, which is so sad because when it's not being used for parking, it's flat. And I, I used to remember that the tenants across the street could park there. Now, parking is such a premium, you can't even do that. They had to build their own parking and, in fact, lay more of a carbon footprint. Now, one of the other things that's not being, uh, the, the people from the, uh, what is it, the 818 or, or something BMX ride used to meet at the Hollywood and Highland Station. And it's not like we're talking like there's only 50 feet. There's hundreds of feet between the station and the sidewalk, enough space to meet your friends and stuff. Even if you have 100 bike riders there, you can all accommodate them and tourists and street things. But... It seems that our, our, the Metro has sort of declared it their private space to do only what is quote-unquote Metro kind of projects. And that's really sad because we, we met there, and in fact, even with all the, the police and everything else, there was still enough time to have some fledgling gang people, quote-unquote, they really weren't gang people. They were just girlfriends and friends from opposite sides of Los Angeles trying to do it. And in fact... It was really great. At one point, uh, black woman sidekick made peace with the two gangs by offering one of the girls velvet cake and the other one the other kind of cake, and they, they seemed to be eating different cakes, but they were both eating cake and they weren't fighting, which I thought was really cool. That's a really good uh, metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that being said, there is one more kind of political ride next week regarding public space and the immigrant experience. We're going to be meeting at Lace uh, on, I know everybody's saying, is it going to be a ride arc? No, it's going to be more fun than a ride arc, if that's possible. Thanks. I know ride arcs are fun. We're going to have uh, the immigrant rights, the immigrant experience, and we're going to have some guest stars at different stops talk about it. Wow. Yeah. That, so, anyway, I'm looking forward to learning some tricks from TJ. Yeah, go in and ask him about a secret spot. All right, secret spots. Yeah. Anyway, Bike Talks doing their best for finding the secret spots and Kill Radio. I, I hear, speaking of secret spots, Kill Radio is doing a benefit next Saturday at a secret spot, and we're going to announce it right now on, on Bike Talk. The secret spot is the DIY gallery right there at Sunset, and that's right, Yakko Park Boulevard. So next Saturday from like about 2 in the afternoon to like to at night, that's 12 hours of music, 12 hours of shenanigans, 12 hours of giveaways and DJs and all sorts of bands and stuff playing. So that's next week, and it was organized by by uh, Greg of Greg Show on uh, Greg. What is it, Greg? Greg Lapidus or for, Greg Chilius? For, for those people listening to the podcast on KPFK.org, Kill Radio is the collective uh, yeah. of internet DJs who uh, we have. Uh, 
24 hours of, uh, I don't know, what do you, how would you describe it? Uh, just, just shenanigans. Um, Skullduggery. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, it's only Skullduggery when we go on Midnight Riders. But, but we, we need to raise money for... Uh, yeah, we, we have to actually, you know, tape is, is not cheap. I know they say tape is cheap. I think talk is cheap, but tape... To record some of these things that we go out and collect for you is uh, getting your problem. And I know I mentioned Jimmy C. It all kind of is self, kind of whatever, pollinating. But Jimmy pulled off a fantastic BFF. I, I got to look at some of the events. Jimmy C., uh, who we've well, been talking about. Black, black woman sidekick went up to the, to, she had, seen a lot of the films at the Bike Film Festival, mm -hmm. and she was going up to Santa Barbara for a wedding, and lo and behold, the Bike Film Festival is the same week. She said, how can this be? It says Bike Film Festival in Copenhagen. Apparently, it's gotten so big that now they just have it in multiple cities at the same time. Isn't that incredible? Brent did get to host this one, but Jimmy C. did his best to with, with the little bike shop he's got up there, and, and you know, he, it's just flourishing up there. Maybe I should pass the phone to Black Woman Sidekick and let her tell you about... Okay, real quick, because we got one, one more minute. All right, well, one minute. Well, I'll, I'll sum it up, really. Well, give it to her. Give it to her. Give it to her. Sum it up. One minute. Uh, no, I'd rather... Well, oh, man. She's, she's shy. <laughs> she's, she's saying that, that they really have established something of a bike culture up there with the bike lanes, the courtesy bike riders are shown. And she says it's, it's, you know, for a small, sleepy little college city, they've really gone out of their way to encourage more commuting bikes. And they even had a bike event. The only uh, thing that the guy did is he posted a sign that said, hey, don't leave marks at 10 feet on my wall when you jump the wall. He says you have to go back and erase them. So that was the only thing. So skid marks on the wall. No higher than 10 feet, I guess. But anyway, man, that's it for me. Right. DJ Chicken Weather. Okay. Signing off here. Okay. You okay. sign it off, man. Peace out. Peace. Still radio. So, uh, someone in the studio here says that that was, that had a kind of a, some parts of it had a surreal quality with uh, Spider-Man and, you know, and the, ascending the tall bike with his spider powers. Thank you, Chicken Leather, for calling in. Thank you, TJ. And uh, thank you to uh, my co-engineer here, Miss Amber Young, signing out for uh, Bike Talk. Have a great week. Uh, oh, and uh, get in touch with us at livebiketalk at gmail.com. Okay.